Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Hi. Hi. Well, hello. My name is Ashley Shuck. Um, my husband, Jeremy, and I, uh, and five, our five children, <laughs> five children, uh, we call this our church home. And um, my husband and I have the honor of being the pastors here in this beautiful building of these beautiful people and this beautiful family. Um, How many of you know that we just finished a 40-day Jesus fast? Yes. Well, we just finished a 40-day Jesus fast. And um, it was really powerful. And during that time for me, I felt like God uh, started speaking to me for our house it's a little bit, has, it has a little bit to do with why um, we kind of um, have shut the prayer room down for the summer just to kind of really pray and to really spend time revamping because I believe that there's some things that the Lord really wants to do in our midst. Um, I'm going to do a lot of Bible today. Is everyone cool with reading the Bible? Good, we're in the right place. Okay, um, Hosea, t- so Hosea 10, 12 is what the Lord gave me um, during this fast. And um, it says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Something that I feel like the Lord was doing during our fast was breaking up the fallow ground. Fallow ground is 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 in farming. It is the the soil that has been laid to rest for a time. But when it's time to start breaking it up, it means that it's going to be time to start planting soon. And right now, I really feel like during the summer we're going to be we're planting seeds that are unto growth that is coming. So we're really, really excited about what's happening in this house. We really invite you to be a part of that. Um, but since we've been talking about it, we've been up here praying for all these different things for the last 40 days. I really wanted to speak to it real quick because um, when you're planting seeds... The life of a seed, it's um, kind of dark and it's messy and it can be lonely. And uh, so due to that, I wanted to talk tonight um, about the beautiful valley. How many of us know that life is, there's a, there's a lot of metaphor in the Bible about uh, our journey being known as mountains and valleys? Mm-hmm. Has anyone here ever been through a valley? If your hand's not up, you're lying. (laughs) Um, Can you guys please turn to Psalm 23? People giggle when I say Psalm 23 because they're like, oh, I know. Been there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, Psalm 23, 4, go back to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, there's a bunch of lights on me, and it creates this nice shadow. And the shadow looks like me, but it's not me. So when I'm talking about going through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm saying it, the interpretation I have here is it looks like death, it sure feels like death, but it's not death. Real close, but not death. Hurts real bad, but not death. Um, can you put my meme up here for me? Anybody seen this before? The first time I saw this, I was like, I feel so known. <laughs> like, this is what we do. This is, our, this is our promise from God. This is, we get a word and we're like, yes, Lord, let it be so. And the reality is that bottom box. Y'all, I've gotten to the point where people start giving me a bunch of prophetic words and I'm like, oh no. It means I'm going to need them to anchor me to the shore and know that what I'm going through, he knows too. Sometimes we choose the valley and sometimes it chooses us. Valleys can be long or short or sometimes, like an inception thing, you have valleys within valleys. That one's fun. In Matthew 4, if you guys want to turn to Matthew 4, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And the last temptation, verse 8, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and only him shall you serve. Was, Satan was offering Jesus something he had come for. He was offering him something that he wanted. Jesus had come to reinherit all the nations back to himself. He had come for his kids. He'd come for the kingdoms of the earth. But what the enemy was offering him was the chance to have that without having to go through the pain of the cross. That's why it was a temptation, because it was something he wanted. It wouldn't be called a temptation if he hadn't been tempted. How else do we know he was tempted? Because when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's weeping. He's telling the Lord, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Because he knows that what it's going to go through, it's going to hurt. And the devil's saying, I can give you this without you having to feel the pain of going through it. Because we love the fruit, but we hate the pruning, right? 
I love farming because farming's not sentimental. Like when you have a huge area of land that's not producing fruit anymore or it's it's sick, you just you you pull it up and you replant or you rotate crops. I, I don't know that much about farming, but I love it. I feel like I feel like if more of us were forced to farm, a lot more of our cultural issues would like take care of themselves. <laughs> I I want every Gen Zer to have to like tend a garden for a season and we'll just fix so many things by just nature. I love you, Gen Z. In my backyard, we have these uh, peach trees. And um, they have grown really, really tall, mostly because I have short fences and a pool and I don't want my neighbors looking in my house. But uh, my peach trees, they drop fruit on the ground that's basically already rotted. It's, it's terrible fruit. It's just, it's like all pit and then it's just gooey. It's nasty. And that's because peach trees are only supposed to grow like yay high. But I've let them grow, 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 grow without tending them and haven't cut them or pruned them at all in order to actually produce the good fruit that's needed. Because what does pruning do? Pruning creates fruit. Pruning creates boundaries so that the good fruit can be created. Oh, no. We can't avoid the valleys. Even Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But fear not, because I've overcome the world. Notice he didn't say, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but not any more because I've overcome the world. No, there will be tribulation in this world, and valleys will come, and mountains but valleys will come. What we don't want to do is build a house in the valley. Talk a little real estate real quick. So we don't want to get into the valley and start going through a place of disappointment or pain and then decide, I'm going to build a house here and I'm going to live here forever. And everything that I go through, every person that comes through my path is going to have to be filtered through my house where I live in the valley forever. But similarly, if we decide to build a house on the mountaintop, then it becomes a bit of a fortress as well because suddenly we're so afraid to have to feel pain ever again that we create a God out of our happiness. I got to stay happy. Happy, 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 happy. We've created an entire culture around staying happy. There is a pill for it. There's Insta everything. Instagram with all of its filters and Instacart when somebody brings me my groceries. It's just Insta happy, Insta happy, 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 happy. But the problem is when happy is my God, then God becomes a symptom. When I'm happy, my symptom is God is good. But when God is your goal, happy is a symptom. Because when you have happy as the God, happy as the goal, everything in your life gets sacrificed on the altar of my happiness. It means your money, your time, and even the people that you hold dearest to you. Whoever gets in the way of you having to go to that place of, oh no, I don't want to feel pain again, they get put on that altar. 
Now, I think that there are phases to being what I call a valley walker, <laughs> AKA a survivor. <laughs> um, some of us are born into valleys. Some of us uh, experience valleys at an early age. And some of us, maybe when we get maybe into being early adulthood, we have our first real like, yes, badge of honor, I went through a valley. Um, it's, it's the pain of disappointment or, um, or pain that's the first time we really question, oh gosh, God, why would you let that happen to me? Oh God, are you still good in this place? And we do our best to get through this valley by clawing our way back up to the mountaintop. We're just happy to get through it. You're just, you're too shocked. You're like, what happened? And you want to get back to that place where you're like, I need to be able to breathe again. And we claw our way back up. The cool thing is, though, through that entire process, he's cheering us on. You have no idea how beautiful it looks over here on this other side. Oh my gosh, I have so much beauty. I have this amazing gift for you over here on this other side. It looks like Roman 5. I've got endurance and character. Oh, oh, and hope. And this hope that's not going to put you to shame. It's so good. I want you to have it. Because the Lord is actually, he's drawn to neediness. Let me explain. There are two kinds of needy. I call them powerless needy and powerful needy. Powerless needy is when I'm drowning and I'm trying my best to stay afloat and I'm like, God, send me a boat. God, please send me a boat. And this driftwood comes by God, send me a boat. And then a raft comes by. And I'm like, God, why don't you hear me? Where are you? I need you to send me a boat. Because I want a boat. Why? Because a boat has a steering wheel, and it means I still get to be in control. Oh, dear. <sighs> and then there's powerful needy. And powerful needy looks like Jacob wrestling the angel, saying, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Ooh, ow, that hurt. I got wounded. I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And God comes, and he's able to move and bless and work there. And that becomes Psalm 23, 5. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's when we're experiencing both sides. We're experiencing him teaching, him guiding, his leadership for real. It's easy to follow him on the mountaintop. Oh, God, you want me to go over here? Sure. Oh, God, you want me to go over here? Sure. But in the valley, it's harder to navigate. This next phase... I call it like phase two of being a valley walker. It's when you've actually been through a few of these mountains and valleys. You've gone up, 
you've come back down. You've gone up, you've come back down. And um, your perspective is starting to shift. Because you're experiencing what happens in that valley. Because the valley burns away the pretense, right? It purifies, it changes. I once heard Lisa Bevere say, who you are in the fire is who you are. Hey, that's why fasting is so powerful because what we're doing is we're making voluntary weakness where we're taking away the things that we lean on, the things that we run to other than the Lord. Desperate people, needy people. That's what's left when you're in the valley. When the only thing that's going to get you through that valley is a real honest-to-goodness touch from the Lord. Because oh. the, the valley is not really about me. And it's something we learn as we keep going up and down. We start realizing this valley, it's not just about me. This valley is what Jesus did when he went into the, to the grave and he came out holding keys. Every single valley that I walk through, I'm bringing out a key. I'm bringing out a testimony to release and bring hope and freedom for other people. Woo. There's another quote that I love that says, I want to be one of those people that walks through the fire carrying buckets of water. Ooh, I want to lock arms with the people that carry the water. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, Lord. Mm. Joseph was one of those. Have you ever sat to really think about what it must have been like to be Joseph? I mean, he's basically a kid. He's a kid. And um, his brothers sell him into slavery. And not only that, but you've had to just listen to them have an entire conversation about whether or not they're going to kill you. But just the, the rejection and the abandonment of being a kid sent far away from your home and not knowing if your parents know what happened and maybe hoping that one day your dad's going to show up because he finds you, but, but he doesn't. Like that's deep pain but you begin to pick yourself back up and, and begin to work hard and make the best of what you have in slavery. Begin to rebuild and begin to bring favor into Potiphar's house until he's accused by Potiphar's wife and then he's sent to prison. You know it's a bad day when slavery is better than prison. And we know the story that he goes on to actually get out of prison and become this very influential man in Egypt. And then his brothers do come to him. And what ends up happening? Restoration for his entire family. But if Joseph hadn't walked through the valleys before the valley with his family and walked them out well... I'm not sure how well he would have been able to handle finally seeing his brothers and actually seeing the resolution of that valley. Like we have this beautiful responsibility and this beautiful choice and option 
to engage our hearts with the Lord rightly through each valley so that when, when something else comes, this next valley comes and this next valley comes, I'm bringing in with me keys, tools, things in my tool belt, things of freedom in order to set others free. He set free his whole family. Like, wow. And you have Psalm 23, 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then... Finally, you have this, this new thing that happens. You've been through many a valley, many a painful experience or disappointment. Um, has anyone here read the book Hind's Feet on High Places? Ooh. So it's an allegory, which just means that it's a story that points to a bigger story and bigger meaning. It's about a young woman named Much Afraid. And Much Afraid wants to go to the high tops of the mountain with the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd says, totally, you can come with me. And she goes through all this stuff to get rid of her family members who, who believe that they know she is, and they're cursing and saying, this is who you are, you can't go, and keep her from going. But she makes it to, to the base of this mountain, and she is ready to go up this mountain with the, with the Good Shepherd. And he says, I'm so happy you're here. I have these two companions who are going to take you up the mountain. And she says, well, you're not coming with me? He said, no, I'm, whenever you call me, I'm there. But I want you to take these two companions. And they're these two veiled women. And they're speaking, and she can't understand their language. And she takes hold of either of their hands, and suddenly she feels the searing pain and she begins to weep, and she doesn't know how to stand. And he says, these women's names are sorrow and suffering. If you stay close to them, you'll be safe. And she can't believe that he, he wants her to go through this entire journey with these women. And even worse is when they start their journey, they actually turn her away from the mountain to, to take her into the desert for a while. Anybody else relate? Yeah. Well, when she gets to the base, back to the base of the mountain, she takes hold of both of these women's hands again. And suddenly she realizes after most of their journey, it doesn't hurt the way that it did before. And even more powerfully, she realizes that she can understand their language. There's a weird thing that happens when you've been through the mountains and the valleys and the journey and the, I don't know, the fire-breathing sharks that are... There's all kinds of crazy stuff in the valley, y'all. You begin to get back up onto the mountain, that place where you mine the things from the valley, that place where you gain perspective, that place where you unpack the things that have happened. And when you're worshiping God on the mountain in that place, you begin to miss what it felt like to worship him in the valley. You don't miss the pain. <laughs> you don't miss the misunderstanding or the, the miscommunication or the disappointment. 
But you miss that Psalm 34, 18 reality where it says God is close to the brokenhearted and, the, and he saves the crushed in spirit. When you are broken hearted, you're confused, there is something so weighty about being in that place and being broken and having him come so close and getting to turn your head and look at him and give him a sacrifice and an offering, this beautiful broken offering of praise because he's right there. He comes so close. Anyone in here ever been crushed? Mm, yeah. When you crush something, it releases a fragrance. And so another thing that can happen in that place of brokenness, in that place of crushing, is we release a fragrance to the Lord. It's like the little token that Ariel was showing us, the little, that little piece of clay. It's, 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 Lord, this is all I have. There have been times in our lives where Jeremy and I have, have gone through really hard things, and there's this little song that he wrote during one of those times and when we didn't have a prayer to pray, and all we could say over and over again was, God, you're good. God, you're good. And he came in, and he would sing this song, and he'd sing... Um, no matter how small my all may be, I'm laying it all down at your feet. And he would just sing it over and over again. <sighs> and we'd just sit there and we'd cry. Because when you're going through the valley, Hebrews, Hebrews talks about a sacrifice of praise. When you offer a sacrifice of praise and you put it on the altar, fire falls on sacrifice, right? Lord, I don't feel it. Lord, I don't see it. But here it is. He can work with needy. <laughs> he can work with needy, with powerful needy that says, I don't know how, I don't know when it's going to get better, but I'm still seeing you. I'm still giving you my sacrifice. I'm still doing it. And he goes, and there's powerful things, powerful moments that happen in the valley. And you have that Psalm 23 come back again where suddenly your cup overflows and you know that you know that you know that goodness and mercy are going to follow you because you've done it. You've gone up, you've gone down, you've gone up, you've gone down. And you've seen, I have a history with God where goodness and mercy are following me. And I know that I know that I know that like Romans 5, that suffering creates endurance, which creates character, which creates hope. And hope will not put me to shame. So until I'm in hope, he's not done. Until I'm in hope, he's not done. But I have to know what to do with myself when I come out of the valley. 
part of being able to walk through and go up and down and up and down and visit is that I have to handle my heart in the aftermath of the valley. I have to know what to do with the unforgiveness, with the anger, with the disappointment. I got to know how to hand it to him. Because if I don't deal with it, it stays in there and it festers. If I shove it down, it's just an open wound that never gets treated. And so what happens when you don't treat something is that it begins to fester and then it begins to spread. It begins to spread to other parts of the body. And suddenly it's much harder to get rid of than the original wounding. Anger by itself, not sin. It's an emotion. It's a feeling. It's God put it in there. It's, it's a reaction. What we do with it, that's on us. What we do with it, that's when, that's when it can become sinful. The other day in my car, my daughter asked me, Mom, why does pain have to hurt? Oh. Cool, 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 cool. It always happens in the middle of nowhere. You're driving, you're having a conversation about squirrels, and then suddenly, boom, super profound question. Cool, 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 cool. Luckily, uh, this quote from C.S. Lewis actually came to my mind, which makes me sound very cool. C.S. Lewis said this, he said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. That's basically what I said. <clears throat> More or less. Because pain does. It teaches us something. It teaches us, ooh, I don't want to do that again. Or it tells our brain, hey, if I keep doing this, it's going to keep hurting. If I keep my hand on this hot plate, eventually it's going to get, the, it's going to travel up to my brain and say, ah, stop doing that. It's wounding you. Right? That was what I told her. When I work out, I am not happy. But when I begin to see that I'm growing in strength and that my jeans fit better, the, the joy I feel overtakes the temporal pain that I feel, and the temporal pleasure of all the bread. <laughs> if there's nothing else you remember from tonight, be it that I love bread and bread does not love me. <clears throat> those who reap in tears will, uh, those who sow with tears will reap with shouts of joy. <sighs> Can you guys turn to Psalm 57? 
I love this psalm. I call it the prescription for pain psalm, prescription for the valley. I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's that good. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. Till the storms of destruction pass by, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. This is faith right here because he's in the midst of it. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And then this is him talking about what he's going through. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O oh harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O oh Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O oh God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Because we worship. We worship and we don't understand. King. About a year and a half ago, I was sitting in this room when I got a text message or a bunch, 911, from my mom. And when I called, I found out that they could not resuscitate my sister. And that began a very long week of trying to figure out what to do, how to parry, how to plan, how to handle a life cut short, a life too young, something unexpected, a valley that you're just violently thrown into and you're just trying to keep your head above water. But that next Sunday, the gift, the gift of walking in this room and handing him my pain and my disappointment, my confusion, my everything, was one of the most beautiful gifts I could give him. It felt powerful. It felt holy. And when I felt completely powerless it felt like the thing that was giving me back power over death and in those moments we really we have to wrestle with the lord we god i don't know how to i don't know where to put this i don't know how to handle understanding your ways in this moment and it becomes really really tempting to take control back from him or to take leadership back from him in that moment because I don't understand. Yeah. 
And we've all, we've all been to that place of wanting to take control back. Can the band come back up? In that moment to tell him, God, you're a good leader. You're the best, you're the best leader. Your leadership is beautiful. Your leadership is perfect. In, in 2017, my husband and I sold our house and packed up all of our, our kids, which were only four at the time, and we followed what, would, what had been two years of prophetic words to go and to plant an upper room in California. And a year later, after getting our butts handed to us, we came home and had to figure out how do we rebuild when we had failed? We had all the words, we had all the, all the things that you're supposed to have when you go out to do something big for God, but we came back broken. How do you deal with trusting, learning to trust his leadership again when you've kind of lost the wind in your sails or the ability to dream? I believe that there are some of us in here tonight that we are, we're valley weary. <laughs> there are people that have been through a lot of valleys and gotten real beat up along the way and maybe your heart's a little bit tired. There are some of us who are currently in a valley and we're like searching for the hope and praying that it goes real fast. <laughs> God, hurry up, please. And then there are some of us in here that we've taken back control of the Lord, of his leadership. We've decided to take it back as our own. And we need to repent and we need to come back to him as a good leader. We need to wrestle with him the way that he did with Jacob. I've heard people say before that you want to follow a leader with a limp because the truth is that good leaders are good followers. They know how to follow the voice of heaven. They know how to get knocked down in a valley and get back up on the mountain and say, hey, Lord. This is what transforms lives. This is what <laughs> transforms a, just a group of people is none of us are gonna go through the world untouched by pain. We can't, we can hide out from it all we want. We can make all the right choices and it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the fact that there's an enemy out there that hates you, that wants you to believe that God isn't good. And so he's gonna do everything he can to try and influence you to believe the lie. He doesn't have to like break your leg or your arm. He just has to get you to believe the lie, to take back some of the control. That's it. We have ministry people on ministry team. You guys want to come up? I just want to invite you guys to come into this moment and let's, if you're valley weary or if you've believed the lie that God is not a good leader, let's come hand it back to him. Let's give it back to him. It's too much to carry. Like the beautiful thing about going through the valley is that it purifies us. It gets rid of all that stuff we're actually not supposed to carry so we can run the race that's been set before us. 
Like we got stuff to do. We got, we got a world to change. I'm gonna pray. God, you're the best leader. God, you're so good. You're good on the mountain. You're good in the valley. We say we trust you, God. We trust you, God. We trust where you go. Where you go, I go. Where you go, I go. When I don't understand, I go. When I don't see the benefit for me, I go. When I don't know how it's gonna happen, I go. I wanna be the safest place for me, God, is where you've planted me. The safest place for me, God, is underneath your leadership. You're a good God, you're a good leader. Father, would you come into this room? Would you touch every heart, God? Would you touch every heart, God? Every heart that has experienced disappointment. Every heart, God, that's experienced brokenness. Every heart that has clawed their way through the valley. And hallelujah, they've made it to the mountain. Holy Spirit, would you bring healing? Holy Spirit, would you bring restoration? Holy Spirit, would you bring perspective to us? Open the eyes of our hearts, God. Open the eyes of our hearts your way. We want your way, not our way. We want your way, God. We want your way, God.